Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. Today, Dr. John Newfeld continues in his series, The Fellowship of the Gospel in the Book of Philippians. Today, we'll pick up from the last time learning more about role models of faithfulness. So let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. A group of researchers working for the World Almanac and Book of Facts once asked over 2,000 high school students to name the people they admired most and wanted to be like. Then they tabulated the results and came up with the 30 most admired personalities. You know, one columnist commented that all those who had been named were either entertainers or athletes. This columnist pointed out that statesmen and authors, painters, musicians, architects, doctors, scientists, and spiritual leaders failed to capture the imagination of these students. He went on to say that the heroes and heroines created by our society are people who have made it big, but not necessarily people who have done big things. You know, as Christians, I think we need to train our taste buds. We need heroes, everyone does. Moreover, we need Christian heroes. That's one of the reasons I think Christians should begin to read Christian biographies, beginning to fill our minds with everyone from Corey Ten Boom to Augustine of Hippo and many in between. I fear we ourselves know more about Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie than we do about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Carey. It's because we have allowed ourselves to worship stardom rather than admire a woman like Amy Carmichael, who spent 55 uninterrupted years saving children in India from prostitution for the sake of the gospel. We need role models of faithfulness. Paul knew that when he wrote the Philippians. He and they had formed a fellowship or a partnership in the gospel, in which they prayed for and dreamed and acted to spread the gospel all through the Roman and Greek-speaking world. But Paul also knew that unless the believers had a manner of life that was worthy of the gospel, all their efforts would fail. And so he commends two men to them. The first was a preacher, Timothy. His faithfulness for the gospel was such that that Paul would comment that he knew no one like him who sought not his own interests, but the interests of Christ and of the people of God. And then, having presented Timothy as one kind of role model, the faithful pastor, the teacher, the leader of God's people, Paul then moves to a second role model. Let's read about him in Philippians 2, 25 to 30. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's see what we can remember about this man Epaphrodites from what we've said about him so far. We learned about him when we introduced this letter. We found out that Paul was in prison in Rome and the Philippian church had taken an offering, raised money to care for his needs in prison since Roman prisons didn't feed their prisoners. Once having received the money, they chose Epaphrodites to be their man to take the money and to carry it all the way from Philippi and Greece to Rome. He was the man the Philippian church felt comfortable with, 
entrusting the care of money with him, with the assurance that no matter how hard the trip became, he would not turn back. He would be their representative taking care of Paul's needs in prison. And by the way, how much money did they send? Well, uh, we actually don't know, but I think it must have been quite a lot. Why? Well, look at chapter 4, verse 18. There Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So try to remember in a day when the only way to transfer cash was to give someone the hard currency and have them put it in some form of a money belt and send them on a long trip. It would have been about a 1,300-kilometer trip, perhaps. He took it on foot. Perhaps he traveled part of the way on ship. Were there dangers? I would say so. But he did it successfully. And when you read this passage, you're going to notice that Paul is going to send Timothy to the Philippians, but not right away. But he is sending Epaphrodites to the Philippians immediately. In fact, it seems like the natural conclusion to draw is this, that Paul wrote the book of Philippians only one copy. And what he wrote was sacred scripture, which the Holy Spirit was going to use to help not just the church in Philippi, but the entire church of Jesus Christ for all time. And he would put it into Epaphrodite's hand and entrust him with something more precious than any money belt could buy. He entrusted him with the only copy of what Paul knew was the inspired word of God necessary for life and holiness. In other words, the reason we have the book of Philippians today and are listening to this being studied across Canada in this series is because Epaphrodites carried out his assignment faithfully, courageously, and with great care. Do you want to know what a role model of Christian servanthood looks like? Look no further than this amazing man. Epaphrodites presents us with a portrait of a faithful, not a Christian leader, no, he probably never preached a sermon, but a faithful Christian servant. We know he was, for he was able to carry out assignments faithfully and reliably. And that's why he was the natural choice. You know, there are those in Christ Church who get an assignment, but then they only do it in their own way. I mean, ask them to teach a Sunday school class, and the first thing you notice is that they've thrown the material out and traded it for their own, and then are lecturing everyone else about what they're doing wrong and demanding that they become the leader of the department. They're, they're not servants. They're authoritarian wannabes. Washing the feet of others? Not so much. Learning the humility of Christ? Well, hadn't occurred to them. Counting others more significant than themselves? Really? No, they want to become power players rather than servants. But Epaphrodites was the kind of a man that when you gave an assignment, he actually did it reliably. You knew the kind of positive results that would follow. So when Paul makes mention of him, look at how he speaks of him. In verse 25, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. That's quite a list. First, brother. Then, fellow worker. And that's the key because Paul recognizes that whether you're preaching or carrying money, both are engaged in the same task. That's why I like to say it. Whether you teach Sunday school or host a small group in your home or greet people at the door and usher or volunteer to clean the church building or teach a class for new believers, in terms of the people who come to Christ and whose lives are changed, we all share in the reward. We are fellow workers. 
That task, the partnership or the fellowship in the gospel that Paul shared with the Philippian church, well, that the gospel should be brought into the heart of the Roman Empire. The results of that and the reward of that was shared by Epaphrodites, the man who took the money to Paul and the man who took the word of God to Philippi. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, warrior for the gospel, a man engaged in spiritual warfare. And finally, your messenger and minister, that is, the one you chose to be your servant in ministering to my needs. That's what a genuine hero looks like. He looks like Epaphrodites. But somewhere, while carrying out his assignment, bringing money to care for Paul, he becomes ill. Well, what happened? Was he trying to do too much? And as a result of the stress of traveling long days with tensions associated with his assignment, did that simply overwhelm him? Well, perhaps. Or maybe he just contracted an illness along the way. I mean, possibly, but surely, from the way this passage reads, it seems his illness was somehow connected to his assignment. But here's what we know. His illness was so severe, it looked like he was going to die. And what's more, the Philippian church heard about it. Well, how? Well, most likely, Epaphrodites didn't travel alone, and a traveling companion had gotten back to Philippi and told them that it looked like the man they had sent to minister to Paul was most likely already dead at this point in time. You can only imagine how shocked the church in Philippi would have been. I mean, we don't know if he was married or perhaps he had children. You know, it's likely that every person in that church had personal dealings with him so that all of them took this very personally. Had they, in their zeal to help Paul, been responsible for his death? And here at this point, Paul tells of his own struggles. In the end of verse 27, he says, But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. See, for the first time, we get just a peek at Paul beyond the rejoicing he's speaking about. He's had a lot of sorrow. It seems to me and him to have been this intermingling of rejoicing and sorrow. And when we come back, we will see that heroes of the faith not only rejoice, they also suffer incredible hardships. What does a true Christian hero of the faith look like? In our day, we tend to associate heroes with those who've made it big, those like celebrities or famous people. But today, as we consider the character of this man, Epaphroditus, we're looking at a rather different definition of what that means. Here was just an ordinary man who embodied faithfulness, honesty, and humility as he served others. But there's more to learn. And when we come back, we'll look at what his sacrifice meant for the church in Philippi. What a time in history. In one sense, who would have imagined? In another, the Bible suggests that we should expect such times. In either respect, it is certainly a reminder of those things that matter most. Our love for God, our love for family, and the calling each of us has as children of God to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of Back to the Bible Canada. And we're so grateful that as a result of so many people across the country who give so generously that this mission continues. So thank you. Your commitment to giving allows this Bible teaching ministry to sustain its programming every day. So coast to coast, to each of you, we express our gratitude and please be assured every gift of any amount is so appreciated. To know more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada and all the Bible teaching resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.com. 
www.ca. When we last left off, we saw Paul lifting a curtain to show us that even though he had great joy, there was also very deep and almost crushing sorrow that was there in his life. Sorrow of churches that have been unfaithful, sorrow because of persecution and false teachers and misleading God's people. And then a faithful church sends a faithful servant and he almost dies. It was just more than Paul could bear. Would he have felt responsible for this death if it had happened, given that this man had come for him? Thankfully, God had mercy on Epaphrodites, but Paul also thinks that God had mercy on him. And so you get the the shock and concern in Philippi and the sorrow of Paul. And in the center of this, we have this faithful servant by the name of Epaphrodites. And what's he thinking about? Verse 26 tells us, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. What is this that we see in Epaphrodites? Look again at Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Epaphrodites is a living example of that. We've seen that he's able to carry out his assignments reliably, but now we see another reason this man is a genuine Christian hero. He is able to make a personal crisis a secondary priority. You know, I remember years ago regularly visiting a dear Christian woman in the hospital. and She was dying of very painful bone cancer. It was one of the most encouraging things I have ever done in my ministry because with each visit, she would inquire about my ministry and then pray earnestly with me there. And after she died, I remember thinking, and I know this is so selfish, but I remember thinking, who will now pray for me the way that that woman did? But there are people who, by the Spirit of God, simply know how to make a personal crisis their secondary priority. For Jesus himself, when dying on the cross, made arrangements with John to take care of his mother. There he was, while bleeding and suffering and struggling for each breath, gasping out to John arrangements that John actually kept until Mary eventually died in Ephesus. I mean, who thinks like that? I mean, you remember our illustration of Gandhi and throwing his shoe on the track. It was a good thing, but it was just a small thing. The one who is other-focused on his or her deathbed, well, that's remarkable. And that was Epaphrodites. And that's why Paul was so eager to send Epaphrodites home. The Philippians were concerned, but not nearly as concerned as Epaphrodites was for them. Paul could see how important this reunion was. Now to verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. This is a curious phrase. Does Paul mean that the Philippians were somehow less than complete in their concern for him, that in their care for him, this man had done what the church had left undone? Is this, in fact, a gentle rebuke? Well, probably not. Instead, it should be seen as a compliment. I think what was lacking is the fellowship Paul shared with the Philippians, the times when they could be together and pray together and share Christ with each other, the encouragement that they would be, the needs they took care of for Paul. But now none of that was possible. But what was lacking was richly supplied by this amazing man. It was as if he himself personified the Philippian church. So if I'm to describe this man, I would say he carried out his assignments reliably. He made personal crisis a secondary matter, and he was able to complete the undone assignments of others. In other words, he was quite content to represent not himself, but others. 
And so compare these two men that Paul has held out as heroes, our role models for the Philippian church to emulate, Timothy, the pastor and elder, and Epaphrodites, the servant and deacon. You know, even though their assignments were so different, both men were selfless who thought of Jesus and others ahead of themselves. And that's what made them heroes, role models for the next generation of Christians to follow. They demonstrated the standards of Christian conduct. Their presence and the way they lived was the living embodiment of the doctrines of Christ. Let us then consider the duty of the church to faithful men and women. Look back at verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Have you ever wondered how the early church did that? Did they say, oh, we shouldn't make too much of their service because after all, they might become proud? Well, absolutely not. Let me give you one example. Acts 4, 36 to 37 says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice everyone in the Christian church for the next 2,000 years has known of Joseph's financial giving record. Now, I can't say this with certainty, but I wonder, when was it that the apostles gave Joseph his nickname, Barnabas? Did they call him Barnabas because he was such a generous giver who considered the needs of the church ahead of his own? Well, probably. Indeed, that seems more than likely. If so, I could only imagine this scenario. Barnabas introduces himself. Hi, I'm Barnabas. And the other man says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought your name was Joseph. Ah, that part. It used to be Joseph, but the apostles changed my name. And the man says, really? How can they just change your name? How come? And Barnabas says, well... I once sold a huge tract of land at a time in which the church had some rather severe financial needs, and I brought the proceeds of that sale, and I gave it to my home church, and that changed our entire financial outlook. And then the apostles made so much of it. They almost had a party for me, and then they changed my name, and now everyone knows what I did, and everyone now calls me by my new name. You see what they did? They they honored him, and that's what we're supposed to do. And I know, I know, many of us are going to object here. I mean, didn't Jesus tell us to give in such a way as not to let our left hand know what the right hand is doing? And shouldn't our deeds of righteousness be done in secret so that our Father who sees in secret will reward us? Well, yes. But remember the context in which Jesus said that. Some Pharisees, when they gave in the temple, made sure that the trumpet sounded when they gave not to bless the community of God's people but to showcase their works of righteousness. They acted in order to be praised by men. But that's not how Epaphrodites, or for that matter, Timothy, or even Barnabas acted. They acted out of concern for God's people. Their motivation was entirely different. Furthermore, the apostles realized that if you allow those role models to remain secret, the wider church will have no living examples to follow. And the lack of living heroes is a detriment to any church. See, the duty of the church is to identify our heroes, our role models of the spirit-filled, obedient life, and hold them up as honorable examples. That's because God's people will always need heroes. But now, before we are done with this passage, I want us to notice again that small phrase in verse 30. It says, "...for he nearly died for the work of Christ." You know, if you read through Revelation, especially Revelation 6, you're going to find that the martyrs are given a white robe before the throne of God, 
and they're given a very special honor. You'll see the very same thing again in Revelation 20, verses 4 to 5, where the martyrs are told that they will rule and reign with Christ, I assume, in some very special fashion. But what is martyrdom? Is it not just the logical progression of a life that puts the needs of others and the glory of Christ far ahead of one's own? And if God holds such people to special honor in the kingdom to come, should we not do the same? See, how sad it is then when we withhold honor from faithful saints. Some of us worry that, you know, they're just going to become proud. Well, Why don't we let God worry about that? And why don't we do what the Bible tells us to do? To show those who show extraordinary faithfulness the honor that is rightly due them. Verse 29 says, honor such men. And we might add, honor such women too. Let's celebrate our heroes of the gospel. Let's hold them up as examples for our youth to follow. Let's supplant the heroes of our culture with the heroes of our faith. To God be the glory. John, as you were talking, I was thinking some of the heroes in my life. And to be honest with you, some of them, I didn't tell them that they were my heroes till after they were gone, and then it was too late. But I'm thinking, what were some of your heroes, or who were some of your heroes of the faith? Yeah, thanks for that question, Ben. It's such a good question. Uh, Let me give you three very quick heroes. One is my own father. Uh, I think he taught me more than any other person how to treat a woman, how to treat my wife. Second hero is a man named Jurgen Schoenvetter who led me to faith in Christ. I am so thankful for him. And a third is a man by the name of Daniel Fuller, a prof I had while I was in seminary, who spent time with me and taught me to take the Bible more seriously than I ever had before. And I could mention more, but I, I think about how these different people had a different impact from a different vantage point in my life. And I I guess maybe I'm like you, too. I don't think I shared with them enough what their impact was in my own life. But I hope to do that in eternity. I hope not to forget then. Well, as we've looked at two faithful heroes in this book, Timothy and Epaphroditus, I hope you've benefited in some way from this study. Both men were so different in their respective roles, yet both were genuine, faithful servants of God and His Church who continue to be role models for us today. It's also a reminder that whatever role we may serve within the body of Christ, what we do is important and honors God. So let's continue to serve faithfully and honor those who do the same. Be sure to listen again tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld begins to unpack Philippians chapter 3 as we look at Paul's warning against false teachers. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Sarah wrote, Dr. Neufeld brings scripture to life with depth, practicality, challenge, and hope. The world has changed. Technology has made everything closer. Ministries have changed, and yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching. You do a marvelous work, and I look forward to hearing you every day. Well, messages like this help us feel we're hitting the mark. And with God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. Our special thanks to all those who listen and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. So please continue to stand with us with your prayers and gifts, and Back to the Bible Canada will continue to do all it can to impact lives 
with the gospel. You can join us in this effort with your financial support by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca.